They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Hello and welcome to the show. If you're enjoying it and want an ad-free experience, consider signing up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash the101podcast get early access and exclusive content on there as well for less than the cost of a cup of coffee links to ways of supporting the show are in the description thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode welcome to the one-on-one podcast with your host juan ayala People often relate feelings to physical, relatable expressions. You're feeling heavy, you're thinking heavy, you're feeling light. You have to combine forces, essentially. You can feel when your thought process is kind of led, dragged down, like you were saying. And I can feel the difference between a thought-provoking internal dialogue that's lifting me up. Again, being parents, it's cliche. Thinking of my kids will always make me feel light. Obviously, there's moments, you know, you... You, you drill over a million things that can bring you either way. But what I'm getting at is there's, you can feel it. Your thoughts are attached with physical feelings that are like kind of nods or hints that co-align or show you there's vibration in everything. And like you said, there are worlds overlapping on our worlds. The more you realize the power of thought and manifestation as you were stating when we first got started it's part of again what i was saying the whole responsibility thing welcome back to another episode of the one on one podcast i'm your host as always juan make sure to follow the show on social media instagram twitter tiktok at the 101 Podcast, YouTube, 101 Podcast, rockfin.com slash the 101 Podcast. And don't forget about the Patreon, patreon.com slash the 101 Podcast. And also check out the Occultist Monday on my website, the101podcast.com, and the comic book as well, Chosen One versus the Saturnian Cube. That's all on there. It's a value for value show, and I appreciate everyone's support. So, Today we are joined by a special guest. Special guest. He's this guy's an OG. This guy knows his stuff. This guy's a dad like me, and he's always tired like me because we're dads. And that's what ha- sure. that's what being a dad is: being tired and taking naps. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have waking up with analog with us, and I'm ready to get weird. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. I've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks now. 
And here we are. So can you plug yourself if people know where they can find you? I know you and I have done podcasts before with Old World Florida and a couple of times, right? Like two times, I think, already. Uh, I've been on there like know, six times now, maybe more. I don't know. With me, it's been like two times. Though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With you. Yeah. I mean, you were the first face I had seen since I'd taken probably a two year, three year break from streaming. Oh, damn. You were the that. first guy. Yeah. That was a funny story. Yeah, I just was inspired by his um, Atlantis video, and he had overlays uh, with a bunch of stuff that I had been looking into, and I had just kind of left the public um, sharing video, video space. Um, I did a kind of co-hosted a Radio Tartary on YouTube for just about a year. And it, got, it got punted from YouTube. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about that first time we met. Um, but, yeah, people can find me um, on twitter and instagram one underscore analog underscore nine same on youtube uh nothing on youtube yet but i'm gonna start putting some youtube shorts together with some of my newspapers predominantly focused newspaper stuff and then eventually i think i'll get into like a live presentation form with people that uh that i have similar interests with or some overlays i have a few i have quite a few people lined up already Mm -hmm. so i just like you said Every day I wake up, I'm lucky to get some sleep, let alone sit down <laughs> at the computer and try to record anything or do any editing. So, yeah, that's that's what people don't understand. That for those that don't do this full time, you have a full time job, you have a life, and then if you have kids on top of that, it can be hard. And oh, so, so it's almost impossible. I'm trying to do it full time, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, this year I'm able to break free from a full-time job and do content creation full-time. So we'll see what happens. I'm manifesting that. You got, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Manifestation. Great word. Yeah. And you gotta, you know, you gotta narrow is the path. Mm-hmm. And if you want something, you gotta, you gotta go for it. Yeah, you, you know, gotta go for it. Talking about that river concept. And so you're on the river, you got to paddle for it. If you want it, you talked about the, the river concept, the river, you can navigate on this river Right, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And there are certain mechanics when it comes to rowing down a river or upstream that either can pose obstacles for you or there's just things that you can't do. You can't turn the boat sideways because it's going to flip over. So this reality is that river and we are on that boat. And the way we manage our boat is the way we go about this reality. Now you are able to go backwards, go sideways, doing certain things, similarly to how it's a sort of simulation where a program has set parameters, but there are ways, I believe, to override those parameters. And I think it all goes back to mathematics and something else. There's something else missing. So what what do you got for us today, Analog? What are you what are we gonna get into? I know we're gonna get into a little bit of a little bit of everything, no? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great intro. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit of everything, you know, science, materialism, how, you know, science has become a form of religion and what what religion has really become, you know, this form of, you know, um, you know, the devotee and the energy that's involved in scientism and how religion was more of a pure organic substance and not so much of this vague um, you know, um, yeah, religions were all kind of based off the same principle and they've all kind of stemmed away from that. And 
you'll find that uh, there's probably um, a living entity behind not just religions, but something as small as a flag, states, countries. Um, yeah, all of these things, sports teams, it goes on and on, you know. Um, energy and attention create. And that is incredibly powerful. And there's a lot behind that that we don't see. Like you said, the river, you know, and uh, to bring, you know, the matrix concept into it until you become, uh, quote, responsible for information and and uh, how you look at the world and questioning, you know, that, that whole concept of the red pill, blue pill. You know, there is no real red pill or blue pill. It's just you're making a conscious decision to be responsible for the things you think and feel and digest as information and the things you choose to believe. I mean, belief is a, is a slippery slope and a tricky word and trying not to get caught up in paradigms. And, you know, the world is very polarizing right now and the whole uh, narrow is the path. You know, I like to say that this, the middle path is the right path. You know, there is no right path, but I just love that analogy. You know, we talk about the left-hand path and the right-hand path, right? But there's always a third in that middle path, balance. Um, yeah. But yeah, the egregores and the, you know, homunculus, <clears throat> the thought forms, these are all things that overlap. And, you know, you talked about the homunculus a lot. It was the first thing we ever discussed. <clears throat> and um, they play a lot more of a role in, in, in our lives than people understand. And it's a very uh, um, niche subject. I heard somebody... Say something interesting today, and I'm going to be interviewing him soon. I was listening to an interview that he had done on another show, and I'm talking about Ronnie Pontiac, who was Manly P. Hall's substitute lecturer, official substitute lecturer for about seven years, and he was his assistant, and he compiled bibliographies for him. And he said that while working for Manly P. Hall, he saw certain things that alluded to forces that are occulted. And, and by occulted, I mean hidden. That, and that's why I named my journal, my zine, whatever you want to call it, Occultist Monday, because I do believe there is a hidden world within the overlaid on top of the world that we exist in, that we perceive. Because mm -hmm. perception is very important when it comes to a lot of these things. And he mentioned about how it seemed to him that there are forces outside of this perceivable reality, which some aren't always malevolent, but most of them are. Now, you bring up the homunculus concept because it's something that I've talked about. And every time I think I've exhausted it, something always comes up. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Homunculus on Netflix. It's about how people's fears, people's traumas, people's insecurities attach themselves as some sort of parasite, some metaphysical parasite that only after the main character drills a hole in the center of his head is able to see on other people. Now he's able to extract these homunculi from people at the cost of having them attach themselves to him. 
So almost like it's sort of daemon-esque, demonic, whatever, parasitic type of entity that is within this hidden world, this occulted world, behind the scenes manipulating reality. Now, you can get into the into the weeds of it because you're bringing up egregores and thought forms and tulpas and things, projections of the subconscious, I believe, what they've been referred to as elementals. And I believe it was either Ledbetter or Manly P. Hall that talked about when a man is in his head and a man is thinking about things, he manifests elementals to drag him down. When, when or lift you, him up, yeah. Or possibly lift him up. Who knows? I mean, I, I, I do believe that the people who are able to manipulate those energies are the magicians. The yeah. ones that are able to glitch the matrix, you know, go turn around on the river and go backwards type of thing. Yeah. And like you said, um, people could people often relate feelings to physical relation, relatable um, um, expressions. You know, you're feeling heavy, you're thinking heavy. You know, you're feeling light. Um, it's easy to re- to. You have to combine forces essentially, and you can you can feel when your thought process is is kind of led, led and dragged down, like you were saying. And I can feel the difference between a thought provoking um, internal dialogue that's lifting me up. Um, again, being parents, <clears throat> it's cliche, but. <clears throat> thinking of my kids will always make me feel light. You know, obviously there's moments, you know, you, you, you drill over a million things that can bring you either way. But what I'm getting at is there's, you can feel it. Your thoughts are attached with, with physical feelings that are like kind of nods or hints that co-align or show you, you know, there's vibration in everything. And, like you said, there are worlds overlapping on our worlds. And the more you realize the power of thought and manifestation, as you were stating when we first got started, um, it's part of, again, what I was saying, the whole responsibility thing. You know, people, there's there's so many stages to this. You know, like people will get into questioning history. There's always a, if they're always, you know, there's always the entry level um, person. You know, they're starting with, it generally starts with anger, like the government's out to get me, uh, money's corrupt, we're slaves. Paranoia. Right? <laughs> Paranoia. And it, 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 for me, this is, again, my opinion. For me, as time goes on, you know, again, I had an um, out-of-body near-death experience in 2007. And my whole life changed, and I've done nothing but um, look into all of these things and question reality and, you know, ponder the world. Right. And I think now as I'm, you know, what, 15, 16 years, something like that into this whole thing, the longer I'm at it, the more it it is kind of about not taking everything so seriously, not feeling like there's somebody to blame, you know, ultimately accountability is on me. And when we get into these thought form concepts, I think that becomes more evident. And we discussed the river analogy. Life is a river. It's flowing one direction. You have 
some say on how you navigate the river in life. And the more you fight against that never-ending constant direction, the harder things get. And I look at that from an energetic standpoint. And your thoughts and emotions play an incredible role. Your thoughts and emotions are etheric ores in the water, you know? Not only are you physically um, moving throughout this, this experience, this human experience, but you're mentally moving through it too. And that's why I was using the, the, the middle path reference that you find you have to have some discipline in the physical and some dif- discipline, a, a lot really, in both realms, mental, the mental plane, the physical plane. And then there's another plane above that or below it even, like we said, you know, it could be both. You know, I like to. You ever read Philip K. Dick? Not per, not actually read his work, but I know some of his works. Yeah, it's the that's the Blade Runner guy, right? Yeah, Blade Runner guy. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, just an amazing writer. Um, he talked about orthogonal time. You know, time at right angles, and I I love his concept of time. That seems to be. Um, when I had my near-death experience, that was like the way he describes his concepts of time is exactly what I was feeling. You know, I left my physical body and it was still able to perceive the realm I left, but I was also experiencing another realm, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, it's like the river on rivers. (laughs) There's rivers stacked on rivers on stacked on rivers. And, and you mentioned fears and all these things. I think they, there is some um, etheric, um, download, you know, whether that's reincarnation or whatever people out there want to believe they've shown. And there's a ton of studies that fears are, you're born with certain fears. Um, where does that come from? I would assume that comes from past experience. Philip K. Dick did a better job than I am at articulating this, but yeah, that's a science though. There, you know, in the study of memetics as well, how information is passed down culturally, fears are also passed down genetically. And I think yeah. that indoctrinate that's why the indoctrination sometimes goes so deep because it is sort of a parasitic relationship because if your parents' beliefs are passed down to you and ad infinitum until you until whenever your bloodline disappears you're passing everything down even if it's a little bit of even if it's a little bit of an idea but this fear of the dark for example i've always talked about the chicken experiment where chickens you can flash a whole bunch of shapes above their head a square a triangle a circle whatever it is but and they they're fine as soon as you flash the silhouette of an eagle above their heads they go crazy because they know either it's an instinct or it's something that's been passed down in their DNA mm-hmm. to, hey, silhouette of an, a hawk, very bad. You know what I mean? Run. Go crazy. So, and then you have the flea experiment. They put a bunch of fleas in a jar. They have a, a, the top on it. That flea will only jump as high as that top allows it to. You're muted. For a, for a day. You're, you're muted, I think. Yeah, I can't hear you. Did I lose you? Can you it's still odd. hear me? Maybe it's me. I can't hear you now, bro. Yeah, I can't hear you. <laughs> you can hear me, though. You're smiling. Yeah, it's me, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Hold up. I'm going to come back out. Hold up. Hold up. 
Yeah, I don't know what, dude. Ever since I did an episode with Nick Hinton, my shit's been bugging out, bro. That's so funny. Yeah, but we were talking about the parasite and all that stuff with him, and like this, this psychological contagion, and my equipment's been hasn't been the same since. R.I.P., bro. So funny, weird. Yeah, Nick's a good guy. Yeah, but so I don't know what you heard or what you didn't hear, but. Essentially, the concept of DNA holding information and being passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know the thought forms and um, ether. You know, we've talked about spelling and spells and grammar and grimoires, and these things are all overlapping concepts. You know, um, yeah, the akashic record is stored in the ether; it's stored in the DNA. You know, we, we were talking about things being passed down through lineage. Um, this kind of is an overlay too with, you know, these so-called secret societies and these Royal families who keep their blood very pure and blah, 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 blah. And they have their reincarnations planned out. Um, you know, whether or not you believe any of that stuff is really irrelevant. It's not like something you can physically prove, but there is a science to people and animals, especially downloading, um, survival, you know, instincts so forth you know there's obviously instincts is a, a a vague term but yeah um fears paranoia all these things and we were talking about the parasite you know the the one of my favorite metaphors for the parasite is jesus in the desert you know jesus wandered in the desert and in the desert you could think of we're in the desert right now you know because another word for the that they used for desert was bardo and you know we're in bardo the in-between essentially and jesus came into the desert he came down into this realm that's what i think that means and whatever jesus can be whatever you want it to be an idea is fine because we're talking about thought forms so jesus has a thought form and he came to the desert and he was tempted by the devil well i i always like to look at that as the mind parasite and a physical parasite as well because there's both and a, a mind parasite comes with a physical parasite. There's There are many kinds of parasite, obviously, and many of them do affect your mind. In fact, a lot of the human population are affected by mind parasites now that are physical. And they probably have some kind of etheric overlay with these opposing realms that we're talking about. Um, you know, a worm is like an antenna. A parasite's like an antenna to me. And they're probably just... Um, an intermediary for another consciousness. Anyways, Jesus is in the desert. He's tempted by the devil. He fasts for 40 days. Well, the overlay that's funny there is that fasting was often related to, to killing the parasite, the physical parasite that would affect your mind. And fasting was, in my opinion, a metaphor for that. Not only the um, physical relation of the parasite, but the mind parasite as well. They go hand in hand. And that, you know, fasting has uh, many benefits. And, yeah, the Bardo concept I love, too. It's going back to the whole concept of Neo and, you know, taking the responsibility to <laughs> question everything and and uh, kind of teach yourself, right? That's always like the philosopher path is that you are now responsible for educating yourself, right? we all have all these people and you know you have a a podcast and you get a 
dig into other people's minds and find more um, interesting links. But ultimately, it's your own decision and your own pathway, and you're walking it. You know, narrow is the path again. <clears throat> Talk about Jesus and Janice and the door and the door into this realm or the door into the physical or the door into the next realm or all these different overlapping realms. Anyways, yeah, the thought forms tie into that because, like we said, we talked about um, um, downloading um, experience, fears, paranoia. It's a lot of things. It's not just bad things. You know, you download a lot of good things too. But um, when you work that into the concepts that we hear a lot in this um, scene about resets and human beings not knowing where they come from or really knowing anything about their past, you know, you can't, you can't know anything about your, if you don't know your past, you don't know where you're going, you know? And um, I think that that plays a big role in us being kind of blank slates and very much, you know, the golem essentially we are the most moldable race or group of humanity. Perhaps this happens all the time. Perhaps this is just a mechanism of this realm, right? There's, there's some kind of event that wipes everything. And, you know, one of the most common things about the human experience is our amnesia and our inability to remember where we come from or why we're here or any of these things. And I think that's probably part of the whole paradigm because if you had, you know, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, if you had all your memories accessible at all, at all times, what kind of, what would you really do with this life? You know what I mean? Like Juan, if you could remember 10 past lives and all the information you learned, you probably wouldn't be sitting at that desk doing podcasts, you know, obviously things would be, things are the way they are for a reason. And the constraints on the human mind and memory, I think are there for a reason. I don't think they're necessarily evil. And the parasite thing, the reference I made about fasting, and it's just one one more um, facet of the, not just, you know, narrow is the path, not just, you know, being conscious of the things that you invest your time in and the things you read and the music you listen to and the movies you watch, but the food you eat and so on and so forth. You find uh, at every turn, you're like, discipline is so important. And the hardest thing I think people have to deal with today is mind discipline. You know, the mind can wander and the crazy shit people think about. Technology has really done, you know, two great things and two really horrible things. And one is the pursuit of infinite knowledge. You know, you kind of have so much at your fingertips. But with that, you're being, your mind is being constantly imprinted on with all kinds of crazy shit, you know, war and whatever, uh, sexual things, you know, porn, all these problems that didn't exist before. And again, it's like that double-edged sword. It's like, what are you going to do with, you're given the keys, you know, you can access really horrible stuff or really enlightening stuff. And, you know, Crowley often talked about, you really got to access both to, get the uh, most out of this human experience i disagree with crowley on a lot of things and that's one thing i disagree with him on but but yeah um i'll get into some of the uh, material that i love and kind of has some overlap with the things you've shared in the past and it'll kind of start our foot into the um the egregore doorway 
So I'll read a few excerpts if that's okay. Yeah, go for it, bro. I'm trying not to talk too much so they don't yeah, shut me down. Yeah, jump in because I'll just random. I'll just, you know, I'll just ramble. So they don't please. shut me down because they're, they're on to me, dude. And they're on oh, to yeah, me. that was weird for sure. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is the last time it was I was talking about egregores, it was the same thing. Same thing. Same last time I had uh, technical difficulties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The little so this gremlins excerpt, in there. Go ahead. Yeah, little gremlins. This excerpt's from Unveiling the Knowledge of Subtle Energy and Ritual from Bernard Huvel, 2010. Um, I don't need to share my screen um, for this one. I'm just going to read a few excerpts from. You said something uh, before you started. What'd you call it? The what? The egregore what? I don't know. The egregore. Yeah, Do you mean the title of the book or? I'm sorry. What's the title? Is it is it a title? Yeah. So this excerpt I'm going to read from is from a book called Unveiling the Knowledge of Subtle Energy and Ritual. No, that wasn't it. But I'll look it up after we're done here. It it's a great, great. It's a great book. Um, yeah, you'll love it. If you've never heard of Bernard Huvel, you'll love you'll love this book because tons of tons of overlays with uh, uh, what you love your niche. So this part of the chapter is called Homunculus. The alchemist Paracelsus described his formula for creating a homunculus using blood and semen. And this has been compared to the consecrated hosts of the Spermognostics. In 1914, Alistair Crowley wrote his ninth degree instruction, D. Homunculo S. Epistolia. Epistolia. I'm sure you know that title. I'm butchering it. Latin is not something I'm good at. Which he described the homunculus, even though he was less than enthusiastic about it. In Moonchild, in which sex magicians create a speaking homunculus with astrological enhancements, a definite connection was made between the subject of artificial astral beings and vampire mythology. The egregore and its incarnate tenant, the possessor of the highest degree, were fueled by the vital sexual powers of all the lodge members. Both the FS and his successor, Ordo Saturni, deliberately tried to create a form of astral vampire, which they hoped eventually to incarnate as a being of flesh and blood. It was a reversal of the Christian Eucharist, where the congregation consumes the supposed flesh and blood of God in the form of bread and wine. If one believes that gods are the creation of man, which is an important concept for people to hold on to as we go through the rest of this talk. So I'll just read it again. If one believes that gods are the creation of man, then it follows that an order egregore is also a god. To successfully create a golem might, therefore, mean that within the golem, even a god could be vicariously destroyed. A dream of omnipotence released. In the FS, the office of the gados permits a personality to be united with gotos utit, itself the outer head of the order, OHO, becomes the inner head. Skip ahead. In the magical system, the libido during sexual intercourse was transferred from the sexual partner to the astral egregore. In concrete terms, this meant that all the heterosexual and homosexual activity was conducted with the use of word shells, word shells, important because this ties in with um, spelling and grimoires and grammar, word shells, which are like the using these phrases and terms, and this will tie into thought forms later. With the use of word shells and euphemisms, holy logos, Saturn, etc., to feed the egregore's vitality, these efforts to identify the Saturn order with an astral golem, a homunculus, 
an image or a statue, a statue, again, very important. Juan, we've talked about this a little bit. I've talked about statue worship was very, very big. And essentially they, through worshiping these statues, you were essentially creating a living deity. Um, and they, whether or not mankind's mind and their, their spiritual um, beliefs have been so corrupted by religions of the day that we're no longer able to kind of have these these filters. There were um, groups of, of Indians in America who would create, you know, totems. And they totems would talk. They would talk all the time. They were alive to them. You know, um, these people were like, oh, these Indians are crazy. These pagans are crazy. And uh, there was a French artist. I can't remember his name, but he... Um, he was a painter and he traveled all over um, west, east of the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi, painting chiefs, mostly people of authority in these different tribes. And all of the native people, not all, but many said that the paintings were alive and moving on the paper mm -hmm. and talking. So I think there was a, a, when the brain isn't so corrupted and the limitations put in place by you know, society and all of these things, your connection with these things, the energy you put into, you know, the artistic expression, a sculpture, a painting, they're living things, you know, you're creating something um, that is a mirror of, of a living thing. And it has its own existence, its own life. Your, the energy you put into that is more than just painting on a paper. And that was the part, that I wanted to emphasize when I was talking about the homunculus as an image or a statue. So and this, creating... how do you spell this guy's name? Spell. It's Bernard. No, I can't remember the exact spelling of his last name. One sec. You said Hervel or something like that? Huvel. H-E-U-V-E-L. Because this is really Huvelman's? Bernard Huvel. Not Huvel. No. The Mysteries, Unveiling the Knowledge of Subtle Energy and Ritual. I have the PDF on my phone, but you can... I th I'm pretty sure archive.org has the full... Here we go. I got it here. Book. Bernard Hoover. Wow. Because, yeah, he's spitting some stuff, bro. That He's going hard in the paint on that right there. Everything that you literally read is very... Yeah, that's just the first paragraph. It gets a little more into kind of my niche and the relation of initiation and how these are like this, the true, this is the real juice of these darker societies, right? There are groups of masonry that are into this as well. The tie in with the OTO. Um, yeah. Sex magic, you know, the moon child stuff, the homunculus stuff, you know, they, this goes back to the 14th, 15th century. Is when they were really perfecting it. And it makes you wonder, you know, like, what are they really doing after these resets and these, you know, these, these so quote orphan trains and all these things? I think there's a kind of a little bit of a darker, um, I mean, obviously that's a pretty dark subject, but I think they're the, the whole concept of he, he know, touched, he touched on something earlier because this is very, I believe it's a lost technology. It's not lost. I do believe that, that some of them still know it. But it's an ancient technology that only the initiated understand. And he touched on a very important point when he said 
that they're able to capture the essence of, and then he said break it apart or something or other, but essentially if you're able to act out a, an ancient drama, right? This, these mythologies that we hear about Zeus and the Titans and all these guys fighting one another and, and such and such brother kills the other brother, right? We always hear about all that in mythology and how they're always fighting with one another. Well, what if you're able to reenact that with these homunculi where they become vessels and you invoke the spirit of XYZ into that vessel and then you have the other one sacrifice it because part of the homunculus source you need to sacrifice in order to unlock the magical power of the homunculus. Mm -hmm. So I believe that's also what it's about. So you have things like King Kill 33 and all these rituals that they do. Essentially, it's about emulating other stories of antiquity in order to invoke a certain type of energy and how I think he said something about breaking an egg of some sort. I mean, we, we what is the Orphic egg, like the Orphic mysteries and everything else that comes with that? Well, perhaps that's what it is, because what comes out of the egg, the hermaphroditic deity, the the androgynous being that comes forth from that egg. And I believe that can either be a literal thing or a symbolic thing where it isn't. Yeah, it's both. It's both, right? You can either because that's the thing about people who've reached out to me like, oh, well, it's all symbolic, bro. I go, yeah, cool. It's, no, it's not just symbolic. No, no, no. And that's fine. There's the class that's symbolic. And then you're going to oh, have, yeah, yeah. You're gonna have you, the yeah. Florida man that's like, I'm going to follow this manuscript of Paracelsus and start mixing all my bodily fluids into this chamber and hold it there for 40 days, even though that's symbolic. And then after another seven days, that's symbolic. It's going to grow wings. And then another three days, that's symbolic. So you're going to have the guys who are actually going to do it because alchemy the beautiful thing about alchemy is it's an interdimensional subject. It's mm -hmm. a philosophy. It's a yeah. practical thing. And it's also a metaphysical thing. So it's on all levels. And I believe that you're able to achieve different things by practicing on those levels. And I think that's, I think that's what they work themselves up in order to what, what happens at the end? What, what happens with the magnum opus? You turn lead into gold and then the light from that reaction changes your genetic structure for you to step outside of reality mm -hmm. yeah um i've posted some some interesting uh articles about the kind of people they were putting in these asylums right people always are um flabbergasted about these crazy insane castles that are asylums after these resets right have you heard of anything you've seen pictures i'm sure right yeah mine unveiled's done a few videos on that too i think um, so it seems like I think they were kind of capturing some of these these people, these people that knew this science mm. um, and had reincarnated knowingly. And they were the ones that were being put in these places. You know, they couldn't be s s talking about any of these subjects with this new population that was being brought in. Right. And I think a lot of these uh, um, asylums were for people like that. One of my favorites was um, an asylum in New York again why i love old papers because you would never see a, an interview like this but this uh this writer had a friend who was a doctor in an asylum and um they had a pharaoh who was reincarnated who they had put in the asylum right oh he's a crazy person right and uh he basically was saying what he, what we're talking about right now that all the mummies were homunculi 
and they were just on on hold on stasis to be reactivated at a specific time opening of the mouth ritual mm-hmm. and that he was on his like eighth or ninth reincarnation and that he had been placed in this asylum mm-hmm. and um yeah i just love that i think that's probably more of what we were really dealing with i mean um why do you think they work so hard to eradicate a lot of these indians you know i hate using the term indian but you know what i'm saying indigenous person yeah. indigenous yeah um because this was and very very common um not the homunculus as we know it in termed but the idea of spirits reincarnation um yeah um the yeah, parasite but... the concept of the mind parasite existed you know they had different terms for it but you know angels and demons whatever you want to call it um the yeah. the word homunculus didn't come into into existence until Paracelsus, but there was yeah. plenty of other oh, con- yeah. the, concepts. Yeah, of that the, goal, the idea of the golem, yes, one hundred percent is ancient, mm-hmm. far older than Paracelsus, of course. And yeah, the homunculus is a new term. I mean, it's hundreds of years old. So but it's a new term. he's talking about. So back to the 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 article, the the excerpt. Yeah. Cause I just downloaded the book, and yeah, you'll love it great book he is talking about crowley which i've also talked about the crowley connection invoking the spirit into the fetus and then he also got into pretty much talking about what did he call him word for they call him word forms or something like that letter forms yeah Yeah. um word shells word shells and euphemisms interesting and this gets this is really important because it really is a direct tie-in with grimoires and spelling and I think this is part of what Babel was. Um, you could think of a whole society that was creating crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Monsters. You know? Demons. Whatever. You get enough people together. They all knew the power of thought. Cohesive thought. And this is what... This is how people were fighting. You know? 400 years ago. 500 years ago. Maybe even closer. Mm-hmm. It was mind battle. It was Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it was wizards and warlocks. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, summoning um, astral creation, portals being opened. You know, um, yeah, and the word shell euphemism stuff. You know, it's like uh, the ogre, right? In Lord of the Rings, is it the ogre? The things they they the o- the orcs orcs. Yeah, they come out of the ground. Exactly, out of the black, out of the tar, mm-hmm. out of the pitch. Um, this ties into when we talk about the Orphic egg. Um, all of my research on Janus and the monad and magnetism and the lodestone. The lodestone was part of this worship. Lodestones were often encapsulated in statues. Lodestones were talking to people. There are many indigenous tribes that worship stones. The Greeks, the Arab, the Mohammedans, the Hebrews, you know, Jews. Um, it goes on and on. Just about every large religious culture worshiped a stone a living deity stone so let's talk about the concept of because i find this really interesting about how you're saying the statues became the deity there's a reason why they would break off the noses of the Mm -hmm. statues and their arms because they were trying to suffocate and trying to prohibit the deity from harming them so in essence whoever was robbing these tombs was part of their society because they believed in their superstitions. If it was superstitions, because we get into the realm of phenomenology, 
which experience is the reality. If you experience it, therefore it is real for you. So it's, it's very, yeah, it, right. It's shaky ground. It's a gray area, but I want to get through this part. And then I want to talk about potentially what these things could be. Cause then we can get into the realm of HP Lovecraft, William Shakespeare. And I mean, Lovecraft was to talk about word shells and euphemisms. Mm-hmm. A man of no dialogue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of hard to read. And you feel almost like you're living in an incarnation. Yes. I mean, but he went as far as saying that's what they were. He was living all of these stories. Mm-hmm. He just made a perfect reference. Experience is everything. Why is Lovecraft still such a household name? He's not a household name, but he, in, in our realm, he is. Yeah. Oh, 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 anyone that, that dabbles in this type of stuff and is well-read, they've come across Lovecraft countless times. Um, yeah, it feels like you're just you're like living a dream of his. And he said that he went as far as saying that it, just about every story he wrote was an experience he had. And how how what better of a tie-in is that than when we talk about mummies in Egyptian culture? You know, of course, these these uh, Europeans can come over here and destroy all these graves and tear all these mounds apart and just just like oh, this is just some silly burial practice. But it's not to them, right? Experience is everything. So what what are they really doing with these mounds? Well, obviously, I believe it's it's astral and it's um, tied in with. I wouldn't say homunculi, but it's tied in with um, reincarnation and their beliefs about, you know, what the soul actually did after you left the physical body, why you would put all this effort into creating the tomb and um, taking care of the body to preserve the body. Yeah, you keep your body preserved and you can't reincarnate, right? I mean, that's, that's an opinion, of course. I don't have any proof of that, but that seems, when you look at, hundreds of thousands of mounds worldwide every culture had a mound they almost had all very similar at least these pagan cultures right we removed the the european the quote europeans from the picture um you know especially the northern latitudes they all had the exact same principles on on burial not all but many and i think it's related to what we were just talking about when you're saying experiences everything these a culture is a culture for a reason and the term culture is related to thought forms and egregores a culture creates just like a flag there's a you worship a flag or you worship an ancestor there's a deity tied to that whether it is that actual person or a a, a demon or whatever you want to call it you know you, you the word demon is a slippery slope you know it could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people you know daemon and demon obviously have the same root and they're two opposing ideas you know what is the demon so yeah you know man we could go in a million directions there the janus stuff and the monad stuff obviously we won't have time so i'll try to stay a little bit away from that but i think there is a relation there with the orphic egg the monad um magnetism and the semen and the egg um, why these things are important in the homunculus and the golem uh, concepts because it all goes back to the same principle the the morph the orphic egg and word shells euphemisms being part of the thought form process that your words your spellings your grammar when used properly is not only constructing a, a vessel but perhaps allowing the incarnation of some kind of spirit because right now we know that I've done Pythagorean, a lot of stuff on Pythagorean palaces and yeah, the mind palace. Yeah. I love that stuff. 
No, so the Mind Palace is one thing, and Pythagorean Palaces is another. Well, it's kind of, kind of same sort concept, of, but they are different. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that Marsilio Ficino, who was in, he was Renaissance era. He was responsible for the revival of the Neoplatonic movement of his time. He said that architects, the reason that they built these crazy buildings, is because they the buildings were their homunculi and he literally used this word homunculi like they were their homunculi and they became the demiurge of this building yeah and living breathing for sure yes it, it, the buildings became living and they were also have what he alluded to having almost battles with their buildings so if my building had mm. 32 windows well mine's going to have 64 but they were all the mathematical and geometrical values of everything was very meticulously calculated because every building was an, an algorithm. Yeah. You're going to love where, where I'm about to go with this. So it's going to tie in with buildings and, and, and cathedrals and cathodes and tech and buildings being living structures and humans being integral to enhancing mm -hmm. or producing something with that building. Yeah. So the word shells, because that's the, the one that's really like sticking with me and how, how what to build on. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What you're talking about when you speak your building, so your reality. Well, Marcelo Ficino talked about number forms. And number forms are essentially numbers th that are constantly reproducing and building on top of one another. And, and the cube is the procreator of all forms, all numbers. So it yeah. the first comes the cube, and then from there comes everything else. So the way it works is, if you think of like a cell that's reproducing over and over again, well, there is a synesthesia where it's a phenomenon that people see numbers. And I think that they're seeing numbers because when Pythagoras talked about all his number, I, I think he quite literally meant that numbers are reproducing because Marcelli also talked about like a woman number and the feminine and the male number and how they procreate and they come together and they make other numbers. So numbers are constantly reproducing over and over and over again. And I think that's what our reality consists of. These numbers that then become, that's what the platonic solids are. They mm -hmm. turn into solids in some way or another. And they're just constantly, because Plato is one of the first ones to talk about how you can break reality down into the smallest piece of, of matter until you couldn't mm -hmm. break it down anymore. I mean, these yeah, guys are above, so, so below. They were so, so ahead of their time, right? They were talking about things that, 
at their time they were being hung for essentially you know that's why you know that's where my name comes from one analog nine mm. the analog realm is within one through nine and everything starts over that's the serpent yes <clears throat> that's why nine comes after eight mm-hmm yeah um one of my first books after my accident about numbers actually it was my first book about numbers and pythagoras was a book called the loom of god and if i write that down um you'll love this book um but basically it, it was showing the simplicity of life and how life can just be that man may be created language just so numbers had a way of expressing themselves <laughs> wow in a in a more advanced way that's wild. Right? And because all all language is number, because that that would and, tie in gematria and numerology, where correct. that's yeah. how you're it saying it all goes back to yeah. one through nine. It all goes back to one through nine, nineteen. Um, yeah, and uh, the the cycle, the circle, mm-hmm. the you know, um, the whirlpool essentially mm-hmm. that these numbers cymatically and cymatics and and art, architecture are very related. Um, a cathedral is a cathedral, and uh, yeah, let me get through the rest of these of these just two yeah, pages here, Sorry. and then we'll jump into the building and um, that stuff, so you can have more dialogue with me about that because yeah, you're gonna love the next uh, excerpt here. So let me just finish these. Okay, so the next part here is called initiation and egregores. It's from the same book we mentioned earlier. Through initiation, a canal is created that binds the priest with a specific egregore. The egregores wither when there are no people to support it. This is worship and devotion, devotee, right? The um, what's the the Day of the Dead? Um, you know, the concept of you got to keep the memory of your ancestors alive because if there's no one to say your name and remember you you die that's when you really die that's when you're really gone um many uh cultures had that a similar opinion and this is where the oldest religion in the world again um in quotations was called ancestor worship you know this is again from a european standpoint and the chinese the japanese koreans many of the asiatic oriental cultures had this similar concept you had a shrine for your ancestors. You kept their memory alive, and that's actually what kept them living, literally. A picture, a statue, so on and so forth. There are no more people to support it, and when people are no longer feeding it with their devotional energy, the longevity of egregores is dependent is dependent on the secret societies that keep on feeding the egregore for subsistence and keep on strengthening its powers the priests withdraw the devotional energy from the devotees through various rituals the egregore then gains strength and gives back to the people the energies of bliss called god's blessings to the surroundings through the priests as meditators if the adept has finished his or her task he passes over to another plane the adept then dies and supports his or her egregore on the astral plane so that it gains strength. It is possible to establish a permanent connection to powerful evolutionary egregores. These can direct the initiate through the stages and changes and can set him free from the binding of egotism. The fight with the astral serpent 
is none other than the development of knowledge that one must separate himself from egotism. Again, this is what we were talking about with um, becoming self-reliant or responsible. The word responsible is really important because responsible and discipline in all things and, you know, not just information, but the things you think, the things you think create the world you live in contemplation of the glitches cliches contemplations of the cliches in the middle astral is actually recognition of the necessity of one's harmonious self-improvement again self-improvement the you know the red pill the blue pill making the decision right and with that responsibility ultimately comes self-improvement it can be a slow process for some it's just that first step right jesus is the door narrow is the path the first step is just going through the door and making the decision. And then, you know, it can be a hundred year journey or it can be a five year journey where your, you know, discipline is high and your, your ability for harmonious self-improvement is strong, or it can be weakened. And, you know, there's always like bumps in the road. Like we were using the river analogy, you know, a river for a disciplined person can be very smooth, but when someone lacks discipline, especially people that haven't made this, haven't opened the door or taken responsibility for self-improvement or, self-awareness the river can be you you feel almost like you have no paddle right wherever whoever believes in the above not merely in words but in the depths of his heart will always be able during his lifetime to establish a permanent connection with one of the powerful egregores who will direct him through all stages and changes and will set him free from the strangling rings of nahash the astral serpent just a little bit more here, and then you can jump in. If Crowley is the figure who sits at the heart of the black magic thriller, multiplying upon the genre pages, then it seems oddly appropriate that the Moonchild should feature two characters who are Crowley, both Cyril Gray and Simon If. Moonchild's heroes are representations of him. This is of a piece with his writing elsewhere and Crowley sometimes seems to struggle writing about characters other than himself. This leads to a curious lack of outside perspective in his fiction. There could only be Crowley's view of things. Those who oppose gray and if and Moonchild are simply wicked and their wickedness must be put down. So this kind of gets a little bit off off uh, with the subject I was talking about, but it comes back here in a second. Moonchild follows much of the same plot that Whitley and Mugham do. Cyril gray struggles against a lodge of black magicians who are working towards a nefarious end. In Mughal and Whitley, the company of heroes always include a man who has experience of the occult arts, but uses his knowledge against the occultists. This kind of goes back to Morpheus and the uh, uh, the concept of you know of Neo, the Duke. Blah blah blah. Skip through that. Powerful white magicians dedicated to struggle against evil wizards. This is Wizards and Warlocks, the term I used earlier. The magicians plot about the role of the heroine in the creation of a homunculus, a moon child. However, reconfigures or remixes the story so that the creation of the homunculus is not the sinister aim of a black magician, but a heroic magical labor undertaken by Cyril Gray, which has, which has a liber, liberatory, even messianic potential for humankind. So this is a great overlay because it shows the, the connection between not just figures like Jesus, you know, these benevolent people, but there's also the opposing, right? There's, there's, that's the magnetic, the two faces of Janus concept that I always like to go take things back to, you know, magnetism. Uh, it kind of is a good route. There's so much that you can manipulate through that numbers and language and all these things. But yeah, you talked about numbers and how that's an important base because that's a direct relation to 
kind of uh the fabric of this reality but mm-hmm. yeah that's so that's all for um what i'm going to read from that book have you read have you read moonchild yeah oh yeah i'm gonna as much as i could i skipped a lot of it you know i'll be honest i kind of enjoyed it low-key yeah well yeah. i mean hey. it's uh i avoided a lot of crowley because i just you know early on in the journey i was like you know very much uh polarized to the um devil and the demons and um this bad man you know and i've just kind of learned that you got to be able to take in a little bit of everything and uh yeah crowley has a lot of really good stuff but a lot of stuff i won't i won't go yeah no some of the stuff is very very heinous like yeah 100% a lot of his poetry is like literally when not a lot of things disgust me but reading some of his poetry quite literally disgusts me like makes me sick to my stomach type Mm -hmm. type of disgust not just like oh no no it's like really bad oh yeah his golem stuff is really bad yeah it's pretty horrendous so yeah stuff i will um i would be happy not having read yes (laughs) exactly absolutely and that's the part where yeah i've looked into a lot of his stuff but when i stumble across that type of stuff i was like oh okay it it reminds me it takes me back to oh this is why i don't like this guy because he's yeah just uh, very nasty and yeah, but he's absolutely right. What he's talking about, as far as this becoming a vessel of some sort, and I believe that that book, Moonchild, I believe it was based on true events. I believe I believe it was a real thing, and he just made it a you story. Think it was Trump? Uh, no, <laughs> no. There's a lot of weird. There's a lot of pretty strong correlations there. I don't. I don't believe it's Trump, but there's a lot of good evidence. Well, some people say it's Clinton, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot too. And you have L. Ron Hubbard, who was also doing things not around this time, but later on with L. Ron Hubbard and and the whole Babylon working rituals and and all these things that they were doing. So I think that as far as Moonchild goes, I, I do believe it was real. I do believe it was something that they tried, even if it didn't work, they at least tried. And so that's how you're saying the darker aspect of these secret societies. But a lot of stuff that he talked about there really makes sense. If there's nobody around to power it, then it essentially ceases to exist. And I think that plays into the community that we're in now where we fuel all these egregores. Something new comes on. Oh, the balloon in the sky. Well, let's all talk about it, look at it, post about it on social media charge it up and then everyone celebrates when they blow it up it's like no they were literally sealing the deal after everyone charged it that's part of chaos magic you burn the Uh, sigil yeah exactly you destroy the homunculus that was the homunculus up there you all charged it you fucking idiots yeah and they destroyed it for the magic and then it just so happens to be near the super bowl right yeah that's why i mentioned sports earlier 33rd parallel sports sports are a big I mean, all these things are ritual. Anytime you can control attention on a mass scale, you, there is going to be people manipulating that energy. It's just how it works. It's the foundations of this reality, as we were just mentioning earlier. And uh, creating a society like America, where you have so many people disconnected and asleep, essentially, right? They're they're on a river. They have no idea where the, the river originated. They think the river completely started with mom and dad. 
obviously there's mm-hmm. a lot more to that and they're happy um seeing jesus or god as the and that's okay of, that is absolutely of course no judgment yeah again i think one of the most powerful things i've learned in my time on, in this realm is just no judgment um, as long as you're not trying to hurt me or my family and you're free to think whatever you want to think, but people need to be aware of that. Their thoughts do more you know, people talk about like, Oh, it's, it's so personal. Like I'm free to think whatever I want to think. Well, I think very much different than that. And that's kind of what we were talking about. When you get on a subject matter, you can feel yourself getting very dense lead. Right. Yeah. And heavy thoughts, dark thoughts are lead. They're, they're weighting you down and light positive thoughts and this is we're going to get into this the color spectrum supports that exact same thing so I'll continue because i don't want to derail us too much because this can get into, this can get really really muddy really quick i'm going to share my screen here and i'm going to um share some excerpts from a book called thought forms by annie Basant, who's a fantastic researcher um author um she's part of the theoph uh theosophical society she took a lot of shit back in the day um you know kind of a blavatsky of sorts Mm. blavatsky had a lot of overlays they wrote about a lot of similar subjects um but yeah this will tie in with can you imagine what blavatsky probably smelled like bro (laughs) no i mean when she was in india she you know she didn't shower for months (laughs) oh man you know she's related to trump Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think Through we're King, allowed to say that on air, huh? Through King Rurik. Well, uh-huh. I, I'm I'm one of the only people that I've ever been able to find to make that connection. We'll censor that part for you, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, this is gonna King be Rurik dumb. is a really interesting deep dive for those of you that want to look into it. But, uh, yeah. All right. So here's some pictures from the book. Um, unfortunately, archive.org is down and I, the PDF is on my phone, not on my computer. So these pictures I'm going to share for my Twitter feed. Um, but yeah, so this is, um, cymatics or thought forms. These people were doing these tests inside of a church. And, uh, what does that look like to you? Looks like kind of a star fort walls, right? People have made a lot of connections in, um, you know, the Tartaria, whatever you want to call it, reset realms. Um, you talking about cymatics? Well, I think star forts are not only cymatics, but they're thought form based. They're um, etherically designed. Um, this book is fantastic. Um, they they play music through the organ in this church, and they record all the different patterns that the music creates in the ether. Mm. So you remember how you were talking about um, buildings being um, kind of living entities. And I think organs are amplifications of that energy, right? Just like um, words are like music. They are on a scale similar to chords. Um, they're all mathematical. Um, and organs are just giant amplifiers. And then you have the building that's, a, a whole nother it's working in multiple dimensions mm-hmm. yeah and then you take the buildings are built on specific locations to harness the earth's energy as well and telurics and 
overlays and all that. So it's just it's multi dimension. It's so many dimensions. This is stack stacking and stacking and stacking. <clears throat> so uh, this part here is about um, Mendelssohn. They played a bunch of Mendelssohn songs um, in this book, and the the des the designs they got were absolutely incredible. His music is amazing, by the way. If any of you don't know, um, listen to some of his symphonies; they're incredible. Um, here's the general principles of thought forms. Quality of thought determines color. Nature of thought determines form. De definiteness of thought determines clearness of outline. Things that come from, again, the mind is like a muscle. And this is going to get into the color spectrum and how it's related to the thought forms. Mm. So everyone can see here, starting with one, high spirituality, moving through the colors and getting into the reds and the browns and the darker colors, you're moving towards fear and depression, malice and anger. So the lighter colors is kind of what we were mentioning a little bit earlier, that you can feel the things you're thinking, having a kind of physical um, feeling um, in the way you feel. Um, and I think that the, there's also... Um, you're working on colors and colors are vibrations. You know, purples are higher vibrations and darker colors are lower vibrations. And this is uh, exactly what the conclusion that they come to in this book. So yeah, you can get this book for free on archive.org. It's fantastic. So look at the size of this thing. Um, these are thought exercises they're projecting through this church. I mean, look at that. So you could imagine if you got a church and you filled it with a thousand devotees, remember, as we we spoke about earlier, through initiation, a canal is created that binds the priest with specific egregore. The egregores wither when there are no more people to support it. And when people are no longer feeding it with their devotional energy, the longevity of the egregores are dependent on the secret societies. So the secret societies control all the churches. And it has so much more to do with the egregore and the the deities than it does anything else. Here's another example of um, the amplification and the image created. This just talks about Mendelssohn and some of the relations and the outlines and the shapes they were able to create through his music. So they did both experiments where they amplified physical thought they did chants they did um, music all created very different things but you can see the church just is a gigantic amplifier they did similar tests but with organs and pendulums quite interesting um so that's all that i can share unfortunately because uh archive was down but this book is fantastic. They cover cymatics. They show how cymatics and building construction are absolutely overlaid with each other from pattern design, tile design, um, shape of the layout, arches, um, pillars, windows. Windows are a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the windows, not only the numbers, but geometry is very important. Um, but yeah, uh, this book is fantastic. And that's Thought Forms by Annie Basson, you said? Correct, Annie Basson. Um She's worth a deep dive for anyone that's interested in any of this material. Um, I'm going to read. And the only old newspaper I'm going to bring up during this 
uh, podcast is going to be an article, an interview with her from uh, the late 1800s. Uh, I'm going to start here at the bottom. Miss Besant's belief in reincarnation, the doctrine of successful successive lives on earth, has aroused a new interest in the most ancient of beliefs. The doctrine... Oh, you can't see it. Okay, one second. Sorry, guys. It doesn't matter. You don't need to see it. I'm just reading it. Um, this will be on my Twitter. I'm going to repost it tonight. So people that are listening, they can come look at it for themselves if they want to. And I'll tag you in it so they can find it. Where was I? Aroused new interest in the most ancient of beliefs. The doctrine, while comparatively new to the Western world, is generally accepted. I think accepted I disconnected again, bro. It is a fact not generally known that a majority of the civilized inhabitants of this globe believe in reincarnation and must be remembered that of the 1.5 billion people of the earth's inhabitants only about 300 million hold the christian faith miss basant says the great mistake of christians today is in accepting christ's parables literally they are vile they are veils which hide the truth and for him who can comprehend the solution the mystery of life is to be found within them Theosophy, she says, gives the key to these veiled truths. Christ taught reincarnation, Miss Passant says, and she quotes the gospel in substination. One passage is where the disciple asked Jesus, Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Which would now show that they believed in the doctrine for now, could a man be born blind for sins of his own of the past, unless he had lived before? In another place, Jesus is quoted as saying that John the Baptist was the reincarnation of Elias. Miss Besant says the doctrine of reincarnation explains why one man is born rich, another poor, why one dies young and another old, why one is happy and another unhappy. Science proves that there can be no cause without a previous effect and no effect without a previous cause. Just as a rubber ball rebounds when thrown against a wall, so in the same way, if a man sends, this is where it gets good, guys. So in the same way, if a man sends out a thought or does an act, it will result in an effect. says that every time a man thinks, he creates a picture or a form in the astral light or the ether, and that these thought forms, although invisible, constantly impel man to action. If these thought forms are good, they impel the good. If evil, an evil action is the result. This automatic photographing of man is what is meant in the Bible by the recording angel. This gives a meaning to the words in the Bible, as ye think, so are ye. In the same way, Ms. Passant says, as ye sow, so shall ye also reap. Means that there is no possible escape from a seed once sown, a thought form impressed in the ether. It is these thought forms which attract the soul to earth over and over again until perfection is gained I'll let you jump in Juan what do you think bad timing can you hear me 
still muted. <laughs> well, I'll just keep going. You can jump in whenever you get the mute thing figured can, can, out. Can you hear me? There he is. Dude. We're having all There I go again. Fuck. Oh. Oh. <sighs> You're gone again. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, dude, my my whole thing is bugging out, bro. Like crazy. It's the entire time that you were going, it was like in out, in out. In, out. I was in out. <laughs> no, I was in out, in out. Okay. Like the entire time you were going off on that whole thing. Okay, hopefully you got all that. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, you did you you heard me though? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard most of it, and like okay. there was a couple of parts I was cutting it out. But yeah, the the idea of past sins would pretty much insinuate that you had a past reincarnate or past life and you were yeah. living. Yeah. Yeah. Which, oof. And, and, and the thought forms and your thoughts are imprinted as a photograph in the ether mm-hmm. and that photograph becomes living and impels you to either good or bad, depending on what your thought processes are. Yikes. And yeah, I think that's just incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, so you mentioned the tulpa early, earlier. A tulpa is a concept in theosophy, mysticism, and the paranormal of an object or being that is created through spiritual or mental powers. Modern practitioners call themselves tulpamancers, just like your, um, what's your phrase I've heard you say before? Cinemagicians, same thing, same thing. Manipulating imagery, steering the thoughts of the people watching just like religion steering the thoughts and prayers of the people thoughts and prayers are very powerful especially when you get them inside of a church a cathedral yeah the the idea that these so essentially these buildings become talismans they become Mm -hmm. amulets they become things in order to amplify these powers and then add that on top of a ley line Yep. You get even more. You have, you talked about the tiller currents and all these things are just another way of transporting energy around. I'm not going to say the globe, but whatever this thing is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the Olmex <laughs> described the astral serpent just like that. You know, they would take, they would eat mushrooms and they could see the astral serpent in the ground, the telluric lines, and they would build their cities where the lines crossed. Whoa. And yeah, I think a lot of cultures had similar. Uh, you could find water this way, um, dousing, you know, there's so much to that. But yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll take this and we're running out of time. So I'll try to loop in. Uh, we'll talk about the Leviathan. Um, are you familiar with Thomas Hobbes at all? No, you're bringing new material to me. How do you? How do you spell that? So I'll just kind of sum this up with a quick little read over for the people that won't be seeing the visuals. The Leviathan or the matter, form and power of a commonwealth, ecclesiastical or civil, commonly referred to as Leviathan, is a book written by Thomas Hobbes and published in 1651. They're lucky he got it published because when he first wrote it, he wrote it under um, 
uh, the, there was a Duke that was sponsoring his writings and he was like, oh, we can't, we can't release this to the public. We can't have people understanding that, that the Commonwealth and a city and a state are all building this egregore. <laughs> and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let him release it. Um, through all these weird slippery ways, he finally, it finally got published, but I think it might've been after he died. The, it, the name derives from the biblical Leviathan. The word concerns the structure of a society and legitimate government as is regarded as one of the earliest and most influential examples of social contract theory. That's again, we could just do a whole show on that. Um, Writing during the English Civil War, it argues for a social contract and rule by an absolute sovereign. Hobbes wrote that civil war and the brute situation of a state of nature, the war of all against all, could be avoided only by a strong, undivided government. Um, the, the cover of the book is absolutely fantastic, so people should definitely go out there and look into it. Um, basically, he's showing the Leviathan as a king, and the king is constructed of all of his devotees, and yeah, um, he's the egregore and his power is determined by the people. That's a phrase people have heard a million times, you know, the power is in the people's hands, but keeping the pig people ignorant is key to maintaining that power. Um, yeah, because you're not going to be uh, putting your, you know, it's like the queen of England and all of these, you know, these monarchs and you're not going to be putting your power into somebody who's, you know, you know, ruling with an iron fist. And if they understood that it's more than just um, living in the city and paying taxes, that it's actually a much more to that. Yeah. So a bit off topic, but I wanted to make sure we got that in there because <clears throat> this concept of the state and the Commonwealth and, you know, war and entity versus entity and egregore versus egregore, and, you know, absorbing more devotees so the egregore gains more power you know it's like Put the, the flag of ukraine on your profile uh -huh. picture oh, exactly. because you know fabulous yeah because early <laughs> we talked about flag worship and flag worship is very ancient uh one of the first um stated at least that i can find in a historical record of flag worship is genghis khan and uh they believe that entities were tied to the flag and that you carry your battle standard. Your battle standard was an entity that you took with you in the battle. And their entity was a was a wolf. Interesting. They also had the flag of the owl. <clears throat> the story is that an owl saved Genghis Khan from being revealed, hiding from his enemies. But uh, anyways, this this can go deep into Enochian magic, which ties again. It's another rabbit hole that's connected with the thought forms and the egregores and the homunculus and the gol and the golems. Um, yeah, um, Enochian magic in the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch talks about this creating entities from thought, and you know um, the society as a whole. Its powers um, is unmatched, but people have lost all connection with this concept, and they're kind of all living their own individualized lives. You know, um, divide and conquer is a is a trait of the egregores for sure how do you take an egregore's power well you take away his devotees and uh the rewriting of american history and you know um aboriginal culture and it seems like this was a big part of it that makes sense too it makes a lot of sense bro because if and i believe now you're tying a lot of a lot of 
loose ends for me together. That would make a hundred percent sense of why the church would take pagan gods and turn them into saints because you're taking those devotees and that egregore and then turning it around and With using you. it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, Hey, you're taking that talisman and you're putting it on your, on your necklace, you know, on your breastplate, right? Exactly. The techno garb. Can we talk about yeah. that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, does that play yeah, but... into this at all? Uh, it does. Um, cause you so, mentioned yeah. the Nokia and um, magic and it's making me think of the breastplate that the angels, made John D construct in order to be in their presence. And I wanted to get into, get into the, the unfortunately searching on here can be broken. Yeah. It's not gonna, it's not gonna come up. Um, but basically what, what you're referring to is a post I made, um, this artist in the seven sixteen hundreds. 1600s. Um, he showed how the Hebrew bet breastplate, and the garb that the priest class would wear was actually um, a, a device. And through the power of um, A-E-I-O-U, vowel, vowel, the vowels, the grammar, the spelling, the priests were, like we've talked about with the war wizards and warlocks and the excerpts that I've already covered here, these wizards and warlocks, these priests, these... Um, magicians were summoning and the power they had was unbelievable and their clothing was an amplifier it was a psychic amplifier and the 12 tribes of the 12 gems that represented represented the 12 tribes were actually um, crystals worn on the breastplate and um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head but the 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 Jews will wear that black cube on their forehead and this was connected by cloth and wires through the cloth that they would hold in their hands and they would stand barefooted. And I think it's just another um, type of, of psychic amplification. And they could, they could change the weather. They could cause lightning storms. They could cause earthquakes um, with their thoughts and their words and the chants. And uh, yeah, my apologies. I'm not be able, unfortunately, uh, I have to use uh, Google to use StreamYard, and Google is just so stupidly broken when it comes to Twitter on my computer. So, <laughs> but people can just look up my posts. I'll repost that stuff too after we finish here, so people can find it, and I'll tag you in it. But it's incredibly interesting. Um, there are a lot of overlays with this, you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah and all of these things. Like, it seems more likely we're dealing with egregores. You know, these overlays people talk about between um, Old and New Testament gods and gods plural not god mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know you, there's far more gods being discussed than there is god and to me this is this is egregores for sure let's and, let's wrap it up on because i really want to get into are these independent forces outside the fabric of reality or are they conscious are they sentient are they being, is there a source? Because we're talking about how these, how she, Annie Basant mentioned that they influence you. Well, what is influencing you? What is it? Is it an entity? Is it entities? Plural? Is it, because you're talking about gods. Is it one thing? What is outside there that's trying to get in? Yeah, it's a slippery slope. 
Um, for me, I believe it's multiple things, um, but they could all be connected to one principle. You know, we talk about a thought and colors. You saw the color spectrums that I showed you, that the purity, those three factors. Fortunately, did I close it? No. So we can look that up real good. And here we go. This is important to understand. General principles, right? Quality of thought determines color. Nature of thought determines form. Definiteness of thought determines clearness of outline. So this and what you're thinking are the things that contribute, you know, following this color template um, to what you're producing. And in this book, you can see all the, the things. They create, they think things and they show shapes. They show all these different things. Um, so you can imagine again a society where that, that that's their main focus is magic and understanding, understanding these concepts. Um, I think it's, I think there's so many levels to it. Um, I don't know if it all goes back to one thing. I think it goes back to one construct, which is what we're living in. What's in that construct. It could be infinite. So unfortunately I, that's a hard thing for me to put my, my finger on is, but uh, there are a million different um, facets to this. You know, um, we talked about worms and parasites and mind parasites. And I'm sure there are, just as in the physical world, there are hundreds of thousands of different types of parasites. Those all could be connected to one agricore. I don't know, right? But what I do know is that it is about your mind and controlling how you think. You know, there are parasites that make you want to go fast on a motorcycle and be reckless and have huge spikes in adrenaline. There are parasites that literally make you make bad decisions, reckless decisions. So you're constantly spiking your adrenaline because they feed off that. There are parasites that make you crave sugar because sugar feeds parasites. There are so many parasites that manipulate the way you think. It's, it's quite crazy when you go down this rabbit hole. And what all those stem back to outside of the physical realm, what it is they're feeding in the higher dimensions or parallel uh, worlds to ours beyond our sight, I have no idea. Um, but what I do know is that the parables, like Basant mentioned, that taking the allegories of Jesus literal is, is going to lead to your own demise and understanding that they're allegory and you know, Jesus walking in the desert and all these things and the allegory I mentioned to you earlier about it being about fasting and cleansing your physical body, which then will cleanse your spiritual body. And that again, just like that overlay, there are so many more overlays on top of that. You know, you, you have a society drinking good water, eating good food and thinking clear thoughts, and then you unite them into a church, you know, and they're all trying to protect their leader, right? Who's on the battlefield. Imagine what that would be like, you know? It's just it goes back to the Lord of the Rings. So often, I think that movie is a perfect representation of what life was like, and that these people in their thoughts—that was the power, and a society coming together. That when a society started to break apart, you were screwed because that thought form lost its power. And that, like they mentioned in the, the excerpt I read earlier, the thought form could channel its energy wherever it wanted. So you got your king on the battlefield, this 
this, uh, you know, this amazing King is doing all the great things for his people. And the people are channeling their energy into this egregore, into this concept of, of protecting their kingdom and all of the things they believe in. And then it's channeling its power into this, you know, King, as you saw here with the Thomas Hobbes, um, egregore reference that I probably closed. Here we go. I think this is a perfect representation in pictorial form or picture of uh, what we're really dealing with here. And religions have been um, twisted and manipulating people, um, not just their pockets and, but it's about devotion. You know, who do you worship? You know, that's the, that's the really important thing <clears throat> and separation of societies, divide and conquer. But yeah, I was kind of a rambling there, but no, absolutely. And I think that's what they've done with the, the founding fathers. They've America's created its own pantheon of egregores mm-hmm. to power absolutely. and yeah. they're going to continue to be that way. And there's a thing now, which I learned recently, American metaphysical religion is an actual thing where it's like an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different ideas put together, but it's an actual movement. It's a field of study now. And yeah, so they've, that's an alchemical process, this new religion, if you will, that's sprouted from the metaphorical cracks in the sidewalk that is America. I guess I don't know how to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like whatever is in between those cushions, you know, on your couch or whatever, it's like it's sprouted from there. You probably have a homunculus or something living in there. And, and this is an actual field of study now. So, yeah, dude, I mean, this is, this has been great. There's a lot of on the table that we left. Oh, yeah. So I mean, we didn't even get into like familiars and, you know, spirit entities and, because you can go down that route just mm-hmm. as easy and think that you're you're born with these egregores essentially, mm-hmm. and acknowledging them, um, their existence, and you know they're like your protectors, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we did. We left a lot on the table. I mean, we could have just talked about this book and quote from this book for for an hour and a half, and it'd be pretty mind blowing for people. Because if you have the background like we've covered here, showing, you know your thoughts, the power of your thoughts, how your thoughts have been steered by religions and, and, and states mm-hmm. and cultures and sporting sports and all these things. Society in general is constantly steering your, um, your energy producing faculties to whatever they want. Where like attention goes, energy flows and they're exactly. your power in that. And the media and the news, mm-hmm. you know, like the story with the balloon, man, and you know, the, obviously, there's a reason why chaos magic is is listed as part of the series <laughs> of the egregore. Yeah, so I think you, you should we should definitely riff on that one when we when I have you back on because I really enjoyed this was great, dude, and you connected a lot of dots for me, and I think people are really going to enjoy this episode because this is just the tip. This is just like not even we're just we can take st- this and like our next focus could be about society. Yes. And- the markers we see in society that strengthen the presentation I gave today because they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. School shootings, you know, not that, that that's, that doesn't need to be our focus, but just about everything that you see hop, like the balloon was a perfect example. Mm-hmm. These silly, weird subjects are not silly, nor they're no. weird. Chaos magic is an incredibly interesting thing. And uh, I think you could really jump in and uh, give a good background there. And then we could, 
we could go a million directions, but yeah. Yeah. So dude. I'd love to do it again for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Now let people know where they can find you and I'll have this out ASAP. You know I mean? This is, this is great. This is awesome. I really enjoyed this. Where can people find you? Anola? Um, Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. It's all the same. One underscore analog underscore nine. And I don't have anything on YouTube, but I plan on just, you know, progressing that as time presents itself, which is very limited. So, mm-hmm. you know, be patient. But I do look forward to uh, kind of having my own outlet outside of the Twitter space yeah. as far as video presentations. So look forward to that. Other than that, I post uh, just about every day, multiple times a day on Twitter. Sometimes on Instagram. Um, I'm working over there slowly, but mostly Twitter. Awesome. And make sure to follow me on social media at the one one podcast, pretty much on all social media platforms. Check out the Occultist Monday on my website, the one one podcast.com, patreon.com slash the one one podcast, rockfin.com slash the one one podcast, everywhere. And it's people who, there's a lot of people supporting the show, which I really appreciate and helping. This is going to be a year of growth for the show and really breaking free from that matrix and hopefully doing this full time. And if I'm able to do this full time, it'll bring more content on the regular multiple times a week. And yeah, so catch you guys on the other side. Thank you so much. Analog for coming on, bro. This is great. And I'm really looking forward to doing this again. Yeah, me too.